Hi, this is Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take today to be an effective nonprofit leader? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles that nonprofit leaders face today? Particularly in Park City, what does it take to be a leader in a community where there's over 80 nonprofits? How do we, as nonprofit leaders, effectively fundraise in an economy that's not necessarily solid? All those reasons combined have led me to start this podcast so that we as a nonprofit community and as a larger community can learn from each other as to the insights and wisdom that each one of these leaders that we interview can share. Everything from how to be a better fundraiser, how to be a better vision caster, how to become a better recruiter. So enjoy these podcasts as we ask them very specific questions from their own community as to how they're making their world better. interviewing Robin Marouche, who's the executive director of the Kimball Arts Center. And she gives us some great insights as to what it takes to be a good leader, a good nonprofit leader, and some of the challenges and obstacles that she's learned along the way as six years now being the leader of the Kimball Arts Center. I think you'll come away with some great principles and insights as to what it takes to really run an effective nonprofit organization. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome everybody who's listening online. We have in the studio Robin Marouche, director of the Kimball Arts Center here in Park City. And so great to have you, Robin. Thanks for being here. And uh, tell us a little about yourself. Like, where did you come from? How did you get in this position as director of the Kimball Arts Center? Oh, thank you, Rob, for having me. I am from Canada originally. And Canadian. <laughs> what part of Canada? I'm from the Toronto area. Okay. And... I went to McGill and my roommate from McGill in Montreal, she uh, moved to Park City, Utah after we graduated and she suggested that I come along with her and I wasn't able to move to the States at that time and years later she invited me to be a bridesmaid in her wedding and said, now you're definitely coming to Utah. Yeah, you have to be. (laughs) (laughs) And I flew over the state and I just felt this incredible pull to the place and I got an immigration attorney, and the rest is pretty much history. So you were in your 20s, I would say, early 20s? Yes, I was in my 20s, and I uh, had had a string of personal tragedies. My mother, father, and grandmother all died within a few months of each other, unrelated. And so it was just the right time and and to make a change. And Park City seemed like such a healing environment to start again for a new direction and create new memories and, Mm -hmm. and new... Uh, path forward and it has been such a welcoming embracing community all these years and I've just loved it here fabulous so you came more for Park City not so much for the job at the Kimball Arts Center that's right I'd lived here for many years before I took the job got it how many years have you been here I'm coming up on 14 and what's wow funny that's a lifer you know if you're here for all those newbies I know so. it was pre-olympics Yes, that, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's a marker right there. <laughs> Year 2000. True. Right? And I drove in. I had my car all packed with stuff. It was a three-day drive from Canada. And I pulled in during the dog parade on Halloween. And oh, I thought, are you what, serious? What's happening what, here? what planet did I just come on to? Oh, exactly. funny. Little dogs dressed as bumblebees. <laughs> exactly. Village people. It was great. And it keeps getting bigger every year. I know. I love it. So, okay, so you came to Park City, again, a great healing place, just a perfect time in your life. Um, so then talk about, you know, the community. What, what did you experience? And then the next thing, what led you eventually to say, Kimball Arts Center, I want to, I want to get involved. Talk about that process. Well, I started with a job in consulting, and I was traveling quite a bit and had access to the Salt Lake Airport, which was just so easy. Mm. But the more I traveled, the more I realized how much I loved being in Park City and 
how every time I flew into Salt Lake Airport, I just felt like, why am I leaving this wonderful place? And uh, created a online um, technology company that did in, uh, online media uh, with a partner that we took public uh, and worked there for many years as a startup. Oh, nice. And um, after we went public, the Kimball Arts Center board reached out to me about my interest in applying for the position of executive director at the Kimball. And I so was, they approached you again? They, they did, mm-hmm. yes. And I, I didn't have a traditional art background, so I was, really had to consider it. But mm-hmm. uh, they explained to me that the most important part of the role was going to be building community. And since I knew a lot about um, building online communities and also um, building community in, in real life, I thought that's something I would really enjoy and probably excel at. So I took the challenge, even though it was a non-traditional path to an art <laughs> career. Yeah, that and is. it's been very rewarding and fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So again, you're the director and you've been director for how long now? I'm coming up on six years. Six years, okay. So yeah, talk about that. You know, um, First of all, tell us, for the listeners who maybe don't know about the Kimball Arts Center, tell us about what you do, what the uh, organization's all about. Thanks. The The Arts Center is free admission to the public, which I think is so wonderful because not many art centers in, in the country are free. Mm-hmm. And that is Bill Kimball's legacy. So he was the founder and he was a lover of the arts. And in 1976, he found this dilapidated old garage and he wanted to turn it into a community art center because he felt like in order to become a real community, it had to evolve from first a mining town, then a resort development, but to become a real community, it needed a center for the arts. Where which the people, he said it so well, actually, in a letter to the editor in 1976 in the Park Record, he wanted a place where people could enrich their lives beyond the necessity to make a living. And I thought that was really amazing that he had like the foresight that. to understand that it would be a galvanizing place for people to explore their um, creativity and to learn and that he always hoped that it would be free, and it has been since 1976. And that's extraordinary when you think of the millions of people we've been able to serve over the years. um, remarkable. Through the center's education and exhibitions, but also the Arts Festival, which is our largest fundraiser of the year, which Mm -hmm. there is an admission fee, but that does fund our operations for the year. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get that to the end of the podcast, but yeah, wonderful. So what do you find yourself doing? What's your primary task as the director? I'm sure you've got to wear a lot of hats. And, you know, I ask that because this is a leadership podcast, uh, particularly with nonprofit leaders. Um, So if a a burgeoning uh, youth or a college student is interested in going into a nonprofit position, maybe interested in the arts, tell them what you do. Like what, what, uh, maybe number one, what do you love to do? And then what do you have to do to keep uh, in that position as director? I love building community and making the uh, Kimball Arts Center a place where people want to go for a variety of different reasons and to keep coming back. So whether it be to come and see an exhibit that they've never seen before or learn a new art form because of our classes, we have over 300 classes a year or to an event that is also something that is free or a fundraiser, but in some way engage with us to remember that we are the Community Arts Center and um, that we're on Main Street. Uh, you know, our front door faces the Park Avenue side, right, which used spot. to be the main artery into town before they built Lower um, Deer Valley Drive. 
And uh, so that, that has been something that was a challenge when I first came on board. I heard that parking was an issue and visibility from the street is an issue. So how do you make a lot of noise and really let people know that you're there? Mm-hmm. And a, a decision to create a coffee shop there and create a supply store and to throw, you know, probably 10 times the number of events that we had in the past just to keep giving people a reason to come back. And so you started the coffee shop, that, that idea of bringing it into the art center yeah the idea of having a coffee shop it was never under Fabulous. our management right but, sure um, let people who really know how to make great coffee be the ones that that's their core competency and um, we worked Smart. together and I also really wanted to draw in a younger audience uh, that you know internet and <laughs> coffee can yeah. really appeal it's always to. a good combination I love going there and public coffee that's in there now fabulous fabulous they are wonderful and you want to give people a reason to stay a while and and feel comfortable mm-hmm. and stay as long as they like Mm-hmm. So that's a, a lot of the time, you know, always as a nonprofit leader, you are fundraising. Yeah. So you're always thinking about how to successfully keep your programs running and vital and relevant and um, unique. So that is something we think about all the time. But on the fundraising side of things, I think a lot of time is spent on showing our gratitude to the people that support us. So, you know, you're thanking people. Um, because they really are, when you have a free center, you have to really rely on the support of your your donors and your members and your um, people that are taking classes to let them know how important they are. Mm-hmm. And you do a fantastic job because I know that you, again, everything is free for the most part. Um, so talk a little about logistics. How do you get so many good sponsors and how do you maintain those relationships? Because I'm thinking if someone is in a, a role where they want to learn to get better as a fundraiser, what have been some of the things that you've either learned over time or maybe come naturally to you? But obviously you're doing a good job. You're doing the right thing because you're providing such a great service. So I know, and based on your emails and all the things that you communicate to the public, um, you have tremendous sponsors behind you, both individuals, foundations, corporations. So talk Talk about that. Yeah, how do you do such a good job? What, what's your secret, if you will? One thing that I really think about is having fewer sponsors uh, corporately. That was one domain, um, and doing a better job of fulfilling that relationship and, and making sure that there is, you know, they do it philanthropically because they want to help is number one. But if there's a way that their business can um, advantage being a part of the center, then it makes so much sense for them to get involved. So we try and um, keep uh, very uh, great records about the number of people that are um, coming through the exhibit or at the event, that kind of thing, so that we make the business case for their marketing department. Mm -hmm. We um, create sponsorship fulfillment uh, binders, or, or not binders, I'm showing my age, yeah. <laughs> online discs for them with the kind of metrics that they need to understand about the demographic, who it was serving, what good it did, mm-hmm. um, did it meet the mission, but uh, and fulfill all the goals that were set out for the sponsorship, um, and so that they really have that information right on the ready. And I think that's something that's really helpful, and Excellent. I've heard again and again that our analytics and our surveys and our, our data records and um, keeping are really helpful for them to be able to show the marketing department or whoever is the person making the decisions for the, mm-hmm. if it comes from these different budgets also, you can think about a foundation budget for one company and then they also have a marketing budget, then they have emerging market budgets. I mean, it can vary all over the place. Um, so making the business case for them and helping them to make it internally is a key, I think. Yeah. Um, also, 
letting your supporters see the good that they're having um, and inviting them in to see. Um, recently, we brought in a huge foundation to the classroom, to an elementary school, so they can understand Excellent. that without their support, there was no art in this school. Zero. Wow. And with their support, wow. mm-hmm. they could see it all. And they see these kids From just the having a blast. From the moment they open the door because the, every wall was plastered in this elementary school with the student art from this program from hallway to hallway to hallway to gym to classroom. And it really, it took a kind of like a black and white film into Technicolor for them. And it wow. was amazing for them to really mm-hmm. see, touch, feel, hear the responses and the joy from the kids. And it wasn't staged at all. The, the kids didn't understand who we were. They were just having their class and having so fun. so genuine. Yeah, it was really genuine. They were the particular class I'm thinking about. They were learning about color theory, and they got to get their hands really dirty and move the paint around the page with their hands. And one kid fun. sort of shrieked, "This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is art, people." <laughs> what a great and comment. You, that you can't script, and the joy. So that's uh, I think really important for them to see and touch the mission, and understand Excellent. how the mission is touching yeah. others. Excellent. And if you see any trends, I know uh, most nonprofits face this challenge. I know I do personally in my role that there's some level of this constant management of expenses, growing your budget, growing your staff, um, getting more donors, uh, getting the same donors to give again. Uh, and then we're in a city of Park City. There's over 80 nonprofits. It's not a huge city, but obviously it's you know there's a lot of second, home, second homeowners here. How do you manage that? Or have you seen any trends where you've had to fight through maybe the downturn in the economy or just uh, interest waning and people changing what they used to give to you to other organizations. Like how do you tackle that and keep those relationships alive and those donors still giving to Kimball Arts? That's a great question. And one of the things that we looked at when I first came on board was the, the arts festival was perhaps too big of a part of our budget. And that is an outdoor event. So mother nature is a heck of a business partner. You yes, think. no kidding. You can't control that one. <laughs> no, <laughs> and that is a, a very um, vulnerable situation to be in when your biggest fundraiser does depend on weather. So we varied our events and it speaks to what you just mentioned that it keeps it fresh that it's not the same old same old because the arts festival is going into its 45th year um wow 45 years i didn't know that yeah that's right but we try and do new events that will capture um attention of new people or revive interest for people but it's also understanding uh, you know there's a theory about um, abundance mentality versus scarcity mentality so if we have the approach that that donor is going to support that and then there's less for us then we won't be successful if we realize there's enough for everybody and if we find ways to collaborate um, then that uh, supporter or donor or foundation will feel really good that their dollar is going further and we are able to reach more people Um, but also just that that scarcity mentality has never served anyone very well it's Mm -hmm. um, a closed mindset and a very fixed mindset rather than an open one that's full of possibility. And people like to see energy and growth and um, excitement. And when they see a couple of different um, organizations that they really love partnering together, it you know makes them feel even more uh, sure of their decision to support. I like that. Yeah, the scarcity versus abundance model is a very good uh, way to go. And that's well done. I completely agree. So now talk about some of your biggest challenges or what are some of your biggest obstacles? Uh, maybe one specifically as Kimball Arts Director, uh, but also just in nonprofits in general. What are some of the things you continue to bump into as challenges and or obstacles? 
Well, if you did have a, a, a donor who didn't quite understand the value of the arts when there are so many other important needs in the community, which, you know, that's absolutely true. Um, but one thing that I have found really difficult is the state or federal, whatever, is cutting back on arts in school. It sends a message that's really dangerous that art's disposable, that it's optional, that it's a nice to have, but it, you can do away with it. But, and I, I really believe that we won't understand the damage that's doing for years from now because of the neuroscience brain research that they're coming out with. Hmm. That if you understand how the brain works and the neuroplasticity of the brain and the synapses that form when um, the child is learning and how arts can help to make that bridge and those neural pathways that are going to be setting their healthy brains up for success for the rest of their lives and the foundation of a, a hmm. building block for visualization and cognitive reasoning and all of these things that the arts do. Um, you take that away from them at the elementary level and try and give it back to them in the um, you know, junior high, mm -hmm. it's it's really too late because A, their brains have not formed those synapses, so that connection is not there for them to be able to uh, access that creativity. And number two, their confidence is shot and their interests have been developed elsewhere. Right. Um, and we are about to launch into a really exciting scientific research study that it's a little too early for me to talk about, but we're going to look at, you know, hmm. demonstrating scientifically how access to the arts, um, does help to develop brains, uh, and that we can point to the scientific research. Cause like mm -hmm. I said, I, we don't know. I mean, what we don't know about the brain could fill <laughs> volumes, but, mm -hmm. uh, we do know how important arts education is to a developing brain. And, you know, there are statistics about having art in a curriculum, the, uh, dropout rates are lower and the grades are higher and this, you know, the happiness factor is higher, but when it comes to, um, the mindset of if it wasn't a priority in the um, district why should it be a priority at all so that is a great challenge yeah, to okay. really make the case mm -hmm. that arts isn't um, a nice to have that it, it's not optional that it's very vital mm -hmm. and why so that's that's a big challenge yeah. also the good good bad news about our approach in the last few years we've quadrupled the number of people we serve Wow, good for you. And well, that's a wonderful thing. But now you've got to keep that going, right? Our facility is not so equipped good. to serve that many yeah. people. It is an aging one, and um, it's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I understand where you're coming from. So what are you doing to, yeah, to, to yeah, deal with that? Yeah, so that, that's been a challenge of yeah. um, trying to come up with a way to expand the facility yeah. that will best serve our community and enable us to grow our programs in a way right. um, that still is something that can be built. And what's been a challenge in the last few years and quite frustrating is when the conversation turns to how big is it, how tall is it, what does it look like, rather than what can it contribute, what can it yeah. do, how will it affect the future economy of this city, mm -hmm. how will it touch and enrich lives. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we've struggled with because you're making the case around um, something that takes away from the the common good that it's mm -hmm, going to do. Mm -hmm. So that's been another challenge. Absolutely. No, well, interesting. Uh, so yeah, so say there's no filters here uh, and you were able to say, this is why 
you know, if you had a dream of here's what the building looks like, what would you tell a person if you could just unfiltered say, this is all the things we can do in this beautiful building if we're able to build the building? What would you tell a donor? What would you tell the newspaper? What would you tell someone listening on the podcast? What would you like to see like in a dream world? I know you, you're a visionary. You've got some ideas. So what would be a way to fully utilize that new building? It would be a state-of-the-art building that absolutely has the newest equipment and technology because if you ask many children today, and it, obviously we serve every age group, but when you ask a child what their favorite art form is, it's, it's going to be video and digital art yes, over all others. Yes, my kids, absolutely. Almost mm-hmm. to a rule, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to bring that kind of technology and art into a children's interactive discovery center would be incredible and the space that that would um, need to have. And the building also from the interior, again, it, what happens inside the building is way more important than what it looks like on the outside, but that we could keep the exhibit and the exhibition education spaces to be very close to one another so that the um, learning is um, happening uh, simultaneously and is related. And also an event space that right now we are um, some of our revenue that we generate to be able to operate is by events, but then you often can't have an event if the show is like a Chihuly glass show. You can't have people right. eating and drinking and making yeah. merry around prices. <laughs> Actually, knock advice. over a Chihuly, exactly. that would be bad. <laughs> they can't be replaced. So then you have to turn down you know, all of that revenue. So right. it would have a great event space because we occupy such an important corner mm-hmm. of our main street, the corner of Heber and Maine. And the views of the mountains are spectacular. They really are. Um, so from a programming standpoint, bigger classrooms, taller exhibit spaces so that we could get different exhibits, um, spaces that are blacked out because some of the uh, exhibits that we'd like to get, we can't because we don't have the climate control or the lighting control that we would need to to be able to secure those exhibits. And then on the outside of the building, it really would be incredible to have a facility that looked like an iconic uh, center that you could tell that it was an art center. Without and even seeing any signage or anything. In, yeah, like moth to a flame, it drew you in out of the creativity. And to have the, the glass to be able to see the creativity that's happening inside and the excitement in a, mm-hmm. a really open area. Um, I, I envision like the Met steps, but with our climate inside Mm -hmm. right right (laughs) where people would want to go and have their lunch and just people watch and hang out and be inspired in this you know aesthetically amazing space but to watch and hear the joy of people interacting with the arts so that's a little bit about the very interesting the vision Okay, so say someone's listening to this, and again, they're considering going into the nonprofit world. They're considering going into a job like yourself to promote the arts because they have a passion for the arts. Um, what would you say to that person? Say they're in high school right now. Why sh- or why not should they go into that field? It's funny you should ask that because my roommates in college were all, you know, pursuing careers in the arts, and I was like, "Does Is no one right? want to make a living around here? What's going?" You're on? the only one's going to get a job and actually make a living, right? So they all had the last laugh on me. I would absolutely advise somebody if you're really passionate about it mm-hmm. to get an internship and to go into one of these nonprofits who would be so happy, I'm sure, for the help because you know, Kimball, I know we 
our, we love having our interns because they are also the freshest pair of eyes in the room. And if we want to serve young people, we need to understand what they're thinking and how they're reacting to our exhibits and our ideas. And we had an intern not too long ago that said, why do you have a fax number on your business card? Like, <laughs> Who uses faxes fax anymore? <laughs> well it was, said. It was pretty funny. That and that's kind of the spirit. But we've hired a lot of our interns to be full-time staff over the years because it gives you a chance to get to know each other and see mm-hmm. if there's chemistry and the right fit. And as a nonprofit leader, I can understand the strengths of that individual and where they would thrive and be happiest and contribute yeah. most to the organization. So I would tell that young person, get in there and intern. And intern at different uh, arts nonprofits so you can really see, is it the administrative side? What is it about it that's really going to compel you to move along in your career? And maybe mm-hmm. what you think in school is what you love in practice is maybe would be better suited as a hobby and you really love more of the operational side of things and mm-hmm. you're better suited to you know or, or just see how it could work but I think that would be my number one piece of advice is get in there and intern and ask for mentorship because we all love to give our advice to young people we do don't we that's right yep. <laughs> and then we take ownership and their success if they <laughs> so I always when I go and talk to you know, kids in college, I tell them um, to really seek out a, a mentor at one of these organizations mm-hmm. because that person will really literally want to see them succeed and they'll help get them there if they feel like they're following their advice. Mm-hmm. Well said. And would you say as a nonprofit leader, whether you're the executive director or in another role in the organization, uh, what are the key attributes of a leader you think are absolutely Maybe not essential because we're all growing as leaders, correct? But uh, what are some of the key leadership qualities that you would look for in someone to lead an organization or be a part of a key leadership position at the Kimball Arts Center? I'm a really huge believer in the work by uh, Marcus Buckingham about your strengths. Uh And in my company where I was a consultant, we taught that to Fortune 10 companies. And... What I really understood then were the people that were successful in leadership positions were the ones that clearly understood what they were good at and hired to what they weren't great at and understanding the difference. And there was the psychology in the past of training up where you're weak. And what that creates is trained incompetence, really. So if you think about, well, for me, I really like being in, in the public and meeting new people and, and telling them about what we're doing at the Kimball Art Center and bringing them in and getting them excited. Whereas if I was sitting behind my desk doing spreadsheets all day, I would become really depleted and I could mm-hmm. go and take all the courses in the world about how to be a spreadsheet jockey and yeah. I'll become marginally better at spreadsheets, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be on fire in, you know, on, in my task to talent alignment, contributing the most that I can and f- being the most fulfilled. And so it's really squandering the talent that I have if, if I'm out of alignment there. Um, so I have all my employees go through this strengths test. So I really understand what do we have on the staff and what are we missing? And are the right people in the right seats in the bus? And um, really understanding that I'm not procedurally, you know, I'm not a great procedural thinker. I'm just not. And that's okay. As mm-hmm. long as I have really strong procedural thinkers <laughs> exactly. on the team who are going to make me understand okay, for, you know, this particular project, it's going to take this much time. I always think, ah, oh, we can get that knocked out by next week. You can do all of week. the, yeah, everything now. <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. And, and so hmm. I think as a leader, understanding that in yourself and understanding that in the people around you. 
is vital. And it's been really helpful with performance reviews as well because you can tell somebody about a particular strength because with all of our strengths, there's the face of the mask and the concave side of the mask. So um, if somebody has, I'll pick a strength, um, let's say there's, there's one about like being a great executor, like getting right to action. And while that's really needed on a team because we've got to move everything forward, sometimes they can move too quickly and they're out the door mm-hmm. before the the sense is finished and that can disrupt procedure you know procedures with the the team and that can be a disruptive quality Mm -hmm. and maybe that person doesn't understand it and they they think everyone's just taking too long to get to it um but if you understand there's a time and a place for get to action like have have we fully vetted this idea is it really ready and that kind of thing and so um it's been really helpful to have conversations with people when there's differences and conflicts on the team because you can say oh that's um so and so has fix it as a strength right and we're like that went really well but we could be so much better if we did this can be really demoralizing and if you say hey there's your fix it we need fix it we need to hear what we're doing right uh, well and what we need to fix but we also have to celebrate the milestones of our successes and mm-hmm. let's lead with those and maybe get to fix it <laughs> in paragraph two yeah well said i like that okay any other things that jump out to you in terms of leadership qualities I think um, transparency mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is a really important one with um, with staff about uh, you know if you're going to lead this team, um, they really need to be kept up to date in terms of communications and to understand where the organization is. I, th- I think that's something I've learned along the way that um, you get so busy trying to like throw these programs and and keep them going and grow them. Um, that sometimes you got to remember to bring the staff into a board meeting so they can hear the state of the union from the board and things like that. So they really understand all of the hard work that they're putting forth. It is moving the dial and in what way um, in terms of the budget, but also the, um, the board's outlook on, on what, how the organization is doing as well. So that would be another Excellent. That transparency is a big one. Well, Rob, it's been great. Uh, it's so fun to hear a little bit more of what kind of makes you tick and, and what you're good at. I know the listeners may want to get to know you a little bit better. You can go to your website. Uh, in fact, your website again is? KimballArtCenter.org. Perfect. And um, yeah, I mean, she is one of the emerging leaders to me in Park City that are really doing some cutting edge things. Uh, it'll be so fun to see when this building's finally finished to see your dream kind of come alive. I know that's going to take time, but you're moving along with that. Um, I know the big festival you talked about quite a bit. So talk about, uh, here's your opportunity to give a free ad, you know, for volunteers, for donors. Uh, what do you want to share to the public here in Park City about the Kimball Arts Festival coming up in what, a month from now? Not even, three weeks. That's two right. Weeks. Two weeks or whatever. Three, three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, yeah, I guess okay. I'm talking about it so much because it's right on top of us. <laughs> <laughs> but it is our, our primary fundraiser of the year. So the, the gated mission goes towards funding uh, us to be free all year. And it's August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Perfect. Friday is still free locals night. So come on out. Actually, yes, for locals. That's a really good point. That's right. And um, we have artists from all over the country 50% of the artists that are coming this year have never shown at the festival before Ooh, so that'll so be fresh, an exciting mix art pieces that's excellent that's right mm-hmm. and we change the jury every year and it, it, it is uh, really hard to get into this festival and it's one of the top 10 in, in the country actually we were just named is it really yeah we, the top 10? Well, we were named in a couple of different top 10s this year and also Smithsonian Magazine just named us in the 
top 20. So it's different lists, but wow. really credible lists as well. And, Very good. Um, we'll look forward to seeing everyone. And we do really depend on the volunteers. We actually calculated it would take us $50,000 to compensate for the work that the volunteers do, which we don't 50, have. 000. So we couldn't, we literally mm. could not put this festival mm. on without the volunteer labor. We have 450 volunteers and the economic impact that it returns to the city is over $12 million for the three days. Are you kidding really me? $12 million. $12 million. That's significant. Wow. Yeah. In tourism. Uh, and so that encompasses the hotels and the restaurants right. and the retail mm-hmm. uh, and the recreation pickup that the spike we've been able to track over the that years. That is fabulous. I bet most people have no idea yeah, the economic that's impact. That's right. So volunteers really do um, hear from us that you're you're not only helping the Kimball Arts Center, you're helping the community. Mm-hmm. You're helping sell hotel rooms and you know the restaurant sales and all of that. Uh, and it's a great uh, I'm looking at Skull Candy headphones here in your office, Rob. <laughs> we give uh, free Skull Candy earbuds to that's our right. Oh, <laughs> that's a selling point right there. Sign me up. Excellent. Among that's many good other know. things. Uh, and, uh, and if they want to volunteer, where do they go and how do they uh, They can volunteer on our website okay. or just call the Kimball and we'd love to have everyone. Excellent. But do come out and have a fun weekend and enjoy all the events that the Arts Fest has to offer, including the music and the great culinary partnerships as well. Excellent. So August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, Friday night, local night. So all your locals, make sure you know that. And the rest of you come. The rest of that weekend is going to be fun-filled. And 50%, you said, were brand new. So if you think you've seen it all, you haven't because you've got brand new artists coming. That's right. The weather's going to be great. It's going to be perfect. You (laughs) promise, right? Yeah. (laughs) It should be. By that time, it should be great. Well, Robin, again, thank you so much. Pleasure to have you here. And uh, thanks for sharing all your insights today. Thanks for having me, Rob.